Well, good evening. Good to be here tonight. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14, and then if you would go to verse number 13, that's where we're going to begin this evening. Matthew chapter number 13, 14, beginning in verse number 13. Uh, if you would, would you stand with me one more time for the reading of just these couple verses? Matthew chapter number 14, verse number 13. The Bible says, When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. This evening we're going to be studying the word compassion. What is true biblical compassion? Let's pray one more time and we'll begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we, again, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word. Lord, again, we pray that um, you would help what you want to be said, nothing more, nothing less. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and that your word would co come forth. And may you work as you see fit. In Jesus' now pray. Amen. Before we begin to study the idea of biblical compassion, I wanted to uh, share a, a little bit of an introductory story um, as something that really got me thinking about, in my life, what true biblical compassion is. And so, as many of you know, in 2013, I started my Bible college journey at Fairhaven Baptist College in Chesterton, Indiana. And just like all the freshmen going into college, they wanted to get not only started with schooling, but they want to get involved in ministry. That's one of the great things about Fairhaven, that there's so many opportunities to be involved in ministry. And one of the best ministries that it seemed like you could be a part of was the bus ministry. The bus ministry was the cool ministry. That's where all the cool guys were. And so I wanted to fit in, and I wanted to be a part of the bus ministry. And so I signed up, I prayed, and sure enough, I was chosen to be part of the bus ministry. And I got... Uh, partnered with a man named Mr. Brian Reinhardt, and he was the school administrator there. Um, he did a lot, and I was partnered with him. And when I was partnered with him, I, I, you didn't have any idea of where you were going to be ministering. They just partnered you up, and you went. And so the first day we went, I found out that we were going to be ministering to a city called Michigan City, Indiana. And if any of you recognize it, you may. That's where Indiana State Prison is located. Indiana State Prison has a reputation for being one of the most dangerous prisons in the country. Reason being is that three out of four of the people there are there for murder charges. Um, they literally have a graveyard in the back, which are people that have been affected by capital punishment there. And so I learned on our first day out that my ministry area was going to be the houses directly around Indiana State Prison. And so I thought, okay, well, here we go, Lord. Let's, let's see what's going to happen. And so it was one of our first times being out. Um, my job, I was the, the Bible verse guy. So we would go up to a house. We'd knock on the door. We had a whole list of kids that we would go and visit. My job was to give them their Bible verse 
and uh, they would learn that Bible verse throughout the week, and we would have them recite it um, every week. And so we went from house to house. We were about halfway through one day. Um, it was cold. It was chilly, so we were trying to stay in the car as much as we could. And Mr. Reinhardt, uh, my bus captain, he got a phone call. Um, so we pulled over, safe driver that he is. We pulled over, and uh, he took the phone call. And college life is rough, as many of you know. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to try to get a little nap in here. So close my eyes, begin to drift off to sleep, and I hear a bang. I was like, oh. I don't know what that is. I thought a lot of things were going through my mind, and I thought, well, hopefully it's just construction, right? So I, I didn't really think much of it, so I began to slowly drift back to sleep, and then I heard another bang, and then a bang, bang, and it started getting louder and louder, and I thought, yeah, I recognize that noise, and it's, it's not construction. Those, those are gunshots, and they're, and they're close. And so I began to feel a little bit afraid, as I, <laughs> as I think most people would. Um, but the strange thing was is that Mr. Reinhardt was just on his call, having, having his call. He didn't, he didn't hear them, so he was just enjoying whatever phone call he had. And so he finally hangs up, and I'm there, white as a ghost, and I said, did you hear that noise? And he's like, he's like no, no, I didn't hear it. I said, I'm pretty sure I just heard gunshots. And he's like, no, nah, no. Nah. So, so we just went on. We, we decided to go to the next house, and the next house we were visiting was, sure enough, it was on that block. As we're arriving to the house, you can see the dad of the kids we're about to go visit. He's, he's um, calling his children in with a trembling voice. And uh, Mr. Reinhardt's like, what's going on? What's going on? He's like, didn't you just hear the, the gunshot? Someone just got shot on this block. And uh, then we both realized that, okay, it was, it was real. And... Ever since that, obviously we were safe. We were safe. We were able to help them get the kids in. We were able to continue that day. But ever since that day, I began to wonder, like many other people wondered, you know, why would we put ourselves in such harm's way? What, obviously we wanted to see these kids saved, but was it really worth being a part of this? Was it worth spending eight hours every Saturday where we could be doing homework, when we could be doing something else, uh, to be involved in such a ministry? And I noticed that there was something about Mr. Reinhardt that was different um, than myself or than a lot of the Bible college students that I knew. There was something that seemed to be driving him every day, something that got him out of bed every Saturday morning, um, that no matter what happened, no matter how scary the house was, uh, no matter what situation we walked into, he always had this, this spirit about him um, that always drove him back into the houses, that always drove him back into Michigan City. Uh, literally, with me. And what I began to realize was that this was a man whose life was marked by compassion. And that's the word that we're, we're studying today. And the more I understood that it was compassion that was driving this man's life, the more I wanted to learn about what exactly this compassion was, where he was getting it from, and how I, too, could have this compassion. And so, as we begin today, we're going to be talking about what exactly biblical compassion is and how we, can, how we can apply it and see it in our lives. So, here's a question. Why should you, sitting there today, care about biblical compassion? Why is this a message that you shouldn't just tune out on? Why, why, should, we, why should we tune in today? Well, it's because one of, Christ, one of our Christians' main desire is to be 
Christ-like, right? Um, the Bible says that we're predestinated to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Our main purpose in life should be to be more like Christ. That's the sanctification process. It's the process of becoming more holy, but being, becoming more like who? Jesus Christ. And what we've seen today was that a marking characteristic of Jesus was compassion. And so if someone wants to choose to please God with their life, they can choose to be more Christ-like. If someone wants to choose to be more Christ-like, they can choose to take on this idea of compassion and implement it into their lives. And also, sometimes it's easy to be a jerk, too. Some, you know, uh, we talked about this morning about sometimes we can be in the habit of, of not being gracious and a habit of not being compassionate. And so we need to realize, realize that as well. So those are some reasons as to why we should pay attention and, and learn this evening. So another question would be, how do, we confi- how do we define this word compassion? We've been talking about it a lot. What's the definition of it? Um, some of you know I decided to ask a small group of people um, to define in their own words what they thought compassion was. And I want you to listen to what they said. Um, some of the answers I got was, were love in action, feeling motivated to help someone, showing sympathy, observant of others' needs, and a desire to meet those needs. Uh, someone who is genuinely cares about and takes the time to invest in somebody else. And someone even said just two words, Jesus Christ. I think I like that answer the best. And so these are, these are um, all, valid, all valid definitions of the word. But we're here, we're in church, we're in our local church, we're in the Bible. And so tonight I want to study what the biblical meaning of compassion is and maybe put a little more meat onto the bones of maybe the, those skeleton answers. And so first we're going to consider how the Bible defines compassion Then we're going to look at some examples of biblical compassion to kind of prove that point. And then lastly, and perhaps more importantly, we're going to apply this and see how we can show biblical compassion in our lives. So what is biblical compassion? The word's found 39 times in the Bible, so it's something we should should bring our attention to. Um, One of my favorite dictionaries is Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Here's how it defines it. A suffering with another, a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortune of another, pity, commiseration, a mixed passion compounded of love and sorrow. And you're probably thinking, that sounds just like a bunch of words. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help us out here. Um, let's also consider that obviously the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, New Testament's written in Greek. In the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words. The first one is hamal. And it literally has the idea to spare or to have pity on. That's something we can understand. If you spare someone, if you have pity on someone, we can understand what that means. The second Hebrew word that's used is rakam, which has the idea to love deeply or to have mercy. Again, these are concepts that we can grasp. We can understand what these mean. So to spare, to have pity, to love deeply, and to have mercy. And then in the New Testament, there's the Greek word Splangzensomai, and I told Dad that it's always a good uh, message when you have the opportunity to say Splangzensomai. <laughs> kind of fun to say. Anyways, what does it mean? It literally means to be moved in one's bowels. And when you first hear that, you may think, that's kind of gross. 
But uh, allow me to explain. As you may know, um, during that time, um, the bowels were seen as more of what we consider the heart today, the, the seat of emotion, um, where, your emo where your emotions are, are coming from. And so, again, we've thrown around a lot of ideas. I want to give you a simple working definition that we're going to go with today. And that is, your hurt in my heart that produces a charitable action. And if you would, would you please repeat after me? Your hurt in my heart that produces a charitable action. That's the definition we're going to go with this evening. Now, having understood that that's the definition we're going to run with today, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter number 2. When we turn to Exodus chapter number 2, we're going to begin to look at some examples of how we can prove that this is truly the, the definition of biblical compassion. Exodus chapter number 2. Exodus chapter number 2. We're going to begin in verse number 6. You may not immediately recognize where this is, but once we get going, you'll, you'll understand what's, what's happening in Exodus chapter number 2. Exodus chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 6, it says, And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take the child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. Does anyone know who the child is? This is Moses. Yes, exactly. This is Moses. Now, when I was considering this and considering the context of this passage, I had to remind myself, why is baby Moses floating down a river? Why, why, why would his parents do that? I was thinking to myself, um, you know, Samantha and I, we hope to be married soon. And we hope to have children. And imagine what Samantha would think if I took our firstborn child and sent it floating down a river. She probably wouldn't be too happy about that. <laughs> well, we must understand that the Pharaoh who was ruling at the time, he was afraid of male children growing up and threatening his rule. That's the reason. He was um, he was proud, but he was also a coward. He was afraid that people were going to threaten his rule and his reign. And so he decided to tell everyone that they needed to put their male children floating down the river. And so I, that's the context. That's why, that's why baby Moses is, is floating down the river here. But I want us to see that this is the very first time that the word compassion is used in the Bible. And we have a, um, in Bible college, we learn that the first time a word is mentioned or the first time a concept is mentioned is oftentimes uh, the time where the Lord will, will uh, flesh it out. He'll help us understand what exactly the term means. And so we see, we see Moses here. We see Pharaoh's daughter and one of the maids. And, and what happens? Well, we're going to see a three-part model to compassion. So if you're taking notes, here's the, here's the time to really get into it. We're going to see a three-part compassion model. The first part of it was that she saw the need. So the first part of compassion is seeing the need. We see that she saw that the child what? The child wept. 
Baby Moses was hungry. He's been floating down a river for who knows how long, and he's, he's hungry. The second part of the compassion model is that she realized her options. She could have allowed baby Moses to continue to float down the river, or she had the option to do something about it. So she realized her options, and we saw in verse number 7 um, that they requested that a Hebrew woman come and nurse the child. The third and final part of our compassion model is that she, she took action. So again, she recognized that she had a choice, and then the third one was that she took action. She gives the child to a woman who can nurse baby Moses. And so again, to review, we have these three parts of the compassion model. You see the need, number one. Number two, you recognize your options. And number three, you take action. And as we continue to look at the other examples of what biblical compassion is like, we're going to see that every time it's going to follow this compassion model. And so, again, we see that Pharaoh's daughter saw the need, she realized her option, and she went into action. And this is exactly what we saw as our definition. Your hurt and my hurt, she took baby Moses, the defenseless baby, she knew that he was, in a sense, hurt. his hurt was that he had no parents, he was hungry, she took that hurt, put it in her heart, which produced a what? A charitable or a loving action. What did she do? She found someone who could care for him. The second um, example that we're going to look at is going to be over in Luke chapter number 10. If you would flip with me over into the New Testament, In Luke chapter number 10. Once you're there, you'll realize that this is not uh, an unfamiliar passage. In Luke chapter number 10, we're going to find the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter number 10. And if you would, once you've found Luke chapter number 10, if you'd beginning reading with me, starting in verse number 30, the Bible says, And Jesus answering him said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He saw the need. He had a choice. He chose to pass by. Verse number 32. And likewise, a Levite, when he he was at when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. He saw the need. He had a choice. He kept going. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. A Samaritan saw him, and he recognized his opportunity to show compassion. Verse number 34, And went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he had departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest um, more, then when I come again, I will repay thee. So here we have three men. The first one saw this man's need, recognized his option to either act or to move on, and he moved on. The second man came by. He saw the need. He had an option. He chose to move on. But then we see the Samaritan. What did he do? 
Well, first, if we're going to continue our model, first, he saw the man's need. Second, he recognized his options. He could have kept going. He could have whacked he could have walked by just like the others, but he chose to show compassion. And so as in our third section of the model, he took action in verse 34 through 35. It says that the Samaritan bound up his wounds, set him on his own beast, and then paid for his housing. When we see someone in need, we always have an option. No one's going to force us to show compassion. And I think this is a perfect example of that. When the Lord... Um, I love um, the idea of divine appointments. When we show up to those divine appointments and the Lord shows us someone that we can show compassion on, he's never going to force us to show compassion. We're going to have to choose to have compassion on someone. You know, the more I consider it, when we're filled with the Spirit, isn't it a lot easier to choose to do the right thing? When we're filled with the Spirit and we make it a habit of doing the right thing, Doing right almost, become, almost becomes automatic at that point if we're consistently trying to be filled with the Spirit and we're consistently trying to make good choices. If you're choosing to obey the Lord in your life, if you're choosing to surrender to him, when you see your Samaritan, you're not going to pass by. It's going to be instinctual to go and help him. It's going to be instinctual to go and show compassion on him. And is it actually instinctual? No, it's the Holy Spirit working in your heart and in your life. So, yes, it's a, it's a decision, but the decision is made a lot easier when we're filled with the Spirit. Let's move on to our third illustration. Some of you are probably wondering, how, how come we didn't get here yet? But we're getting here. Um, Mark, chapter number one. If you would... Move with me to Mark chapter number one. Here we're going to find God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being perhaps one of the best, if not the best, um, example of compassion. Mark chapter number one, beginning in verse number 40, we'll, we'll read down to verse number 42. Mark 40 140 says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Notice the faith. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and said unto him, I will be thou clean. Verse 42. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. Here we see one of the first Um, noted ideas of Jesus, God in the flesh, showing compassion. Here we see a leper literally begging on his knees. When you consider someone begging, you think of them being on their knees. Here is the leper literally begging on his knees for Jesus to heal him. Having seen this leper begging for his help, Jesus chose to have compassion on him. Remember that Jesus is God, of course, and he would have understood the agony of being a leper. He chose to put this man's hurt in his heart and then act in love by what? By healing him. Jesus himself also followed the model that we have observed in the past two examples. First, Jesus saw the man's need. He was a leper. Second, Jesus had the option. He had the option to heal him or to to not. We've seen Jesus go to places where he, he chose not to heal. 
What was the reason why he chose not to heal? You remember? It was a lack of faith in those places, right? There were times where Jesus, Jesus wasn't, um, he didn't have to heal everyone. He had a choice. But why would he choose to heal this man? Because this man demonstrated faith. Notice how in uh, verse number 40, towards the end, it says, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. The man showed his faith by saying to Jesus, I know who you are, and if you choose, again, he recognized the choice. He said, if you choose to heal me, I know that you can. And then, of course, as we saw in the passage, as the third part of the model, Jesus chose to heal the man after he demonstrated faith. So here we have a wonderful example of of Jesus demonstrating compassion. There's another example of Jesus demonstrating compassion in Mark. If you flip just a few pages forward, you're going to find Mark chapter number 6. If you would go to Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. Beginning in verse number 33, the Bible says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and out went them, and out went them, and came together unto him. And, and Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Verse 37, He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread, and give them to eat? And he said unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they said, Five and two fishes. Verse 39. And he commanded them to make all sit down by, the com- by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. A lot of people here. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed it and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them and the two fishes divided he among them all and they all and excuse me and they did all eat and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fishes verse number 44 and and they that did eat of the loaves were about 5000 men 5000 here we see not only a great miracle of Jesus, but we see Jesus meeting both a spiritual and a physical need, driven by what? Driven by compassion. In this passage, we see the compassion of Jesus not only demonstrated, again, towards their physical ailment, but also their spiritual ailment. Notice in verse number 33, Jesus initially has compassion on their spiritual needs because they were a sheep having no shepherd. This serves as a great model, and I want us to hear this. This serves as a great model for the order in which we should meet the needs of people through compassion. Spiritual needs first, then physical. Spiritual needs first, then physical. There is nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, with meeting someone's physical needs, but we must understand that meeting their spiritual needs 
in particular, giving them the gospel, must be the priority. You can give someone a coat, but that, will, that coat, quite frankly, won't keep them out of hell. The spiritual needs must come first. That said, allow your compassion to meet spiritual needs as well as physical needs. We have one more example, and I think you're going to like this one the best. If you would, turn with me uh, to Psalm 86, chapter number 15, or yeah, Psalm 86, verse number 15. Psalm 86, verse number 15. Our last and perhaps most magnificent, most magnificent um, example is going to be found in God the Father. In God the Father. Perhaps the most glorious of examples are, of compassion are those expressed by God the Father. There was an awesome point I noticed while studying out the compassion of God the Father, and that is, is that every time the word compassion is found, while speaking about God the Father, there's two words that come in front of it. There's two words that come in front of it. And I want us to notice this in Psalm 86, verse number 15. The Bible says, But thou art, Lord, art a God full of compassion, and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Almost every single time compassion is talked about in regards to God the Father, we see these two words come before it, full of compassion. In no other um, instance or example did we see those two words, full of compassion, come by. But we do see that God the Father, and of course Jesus as well, being God, they have the ability to show perfect compassion towards people. And they don't show just a little bit of compassion, they're full of compassion towards those that they love. Here's a question for you, though. What's the greatest display of compassion found in this book? What's the greatest display? Of, we've, we've talked about a lot of different examples, but what's the greatest display of compassion? Yes, I was just about to say, I think it's found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he saw the world's need. How, what did he do? He acted on it. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God saw the need. He saw that we were helpless sinners. We had no way to reconcile ourselves unto him. And so what did he do? He had a choice. He made a choice to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. And then he acted. He allowed Jesus to come as a babe in a manger who would eventually die on the cross for our sins. That in and of itself is the gospel, and the gospel is compassion. The gospel is compassion. It's one of the greatest, the greatest examples of compassion. Praise the Lord for the compassion he showed on you and he showed on, on me. Praise the Lord for his compassion. So as we're considering these examples of compassion, we understand what the definition is. We understand some examples of compassion. Now, Let's apply it to ourselves. How can we show biblical compassion in our own lives? Well, first, I want us to consider very quickly, why should we even bother? 
And we, we started with this in the beginning, but I want to use some verses to help bring out those points. If you would, I'm sorry we're flipping around so much. If you would go to 1 Peter chapter number 3. I'll try to get there with you. First Peter chapter number three um, and verse number eight. The Bible says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. And so here we have a command. You know, there's a lot going on in First Peter chapter number three, um, but we have a command to have compassion on the brethren. Who are our brethren? Well, everyone who's saved, but I think specifically we're talking about the local church, our church, our brethren, having compassion on those that are around us. We're close by, so turn with me to 1 John chapter number 3. 1 John chapter number 3 and verse number 17. 1 John chapter number 3 verse 17. But, but whoso hath the world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How dwelleth the love of God in him? And so in 1 John, we see all about what? We see about the love of God and defining true biblical love. In order to show true biblical love, we are commanded to show compassion. When we show compassion, the love of God dwells in us. And so the question again becomes, how do we show true biblical compassion today? Well, I think the most important way to show true biblical compassion is by fulfilling the Great Commission through the local church, right? So, of course, every day we're met with people who are not saved, every single day. Most, if not all, of the people that we deal with every day are going to be unsaved. And our compassion model would begin with what? Seeing their need, seeing their soul, their, their soul that we know for a fact, if not saved, is going to die and go to hell. And every day we're faced with a choice, right? We can choose to just continue to let them pass us on, or we can ask for strength from God to, to make a difference and to take action. That action can be as simple as giving them a gospel tract, that action could be as simple as praying for them, praying that God would send someone to them if you, if you can't muster up the strength in yourself. But of course, mustering up strength in ourselves won't do us any good. We should pray for God to strengthen us. Mustering up strength can only go so far. We're given a choice every day whether we're going to make an impact on that person's life or not. And then once we choose to make a choice, hopefully it's the right choice, and that choice can be simply giving that gospel tract to someone. Um, Pharaoh's daughter took baby Moses out of the basket and gave, and gave him to, to someone that could nurture them. When we find someone who's spiritually hurting, sometimes you're going to find people who aren't, they're not unsaved, but they're, they're out of church. They're, they're saved, but they're, they haven't... Um, they're lacking nurture, just like baby Moses. Maybe they're baby Christians and they've allowed themselves to get out of church. Well, we can bring them back to a church like Long Hill Baptist Church that can nurture them and, and love and, and show compassion to them in the word of God. And so again, every day we're given a choice. 
Now, of course, we can also meet practical needs, right? Of course, not only do we see spiritual needs all around us, but we see practical needs. And praise the Lord that we've been given the opportunity to meet practical needs through our church, through Long Hill Baptist Church, by giving to what? Our benevolence fund. We have a fund specifically for this purpose. And remember, as Dr. Gilmore reminded us recently, we need to make sure that we're ministering through the local church. We, we have a good local church that can do that. There's no reason for us to go to any third-party ministry that doesn't have any local church attached to it because the church is what? It's the pillar and ground of truth. First, first uh, Timothy 3.15 reminds us that the local church is the pillar and ground of truth, and it's through that that we're going to minister not only to spiritual needs but also to physical needs as well. And so, in conclusion, what is compassion? What is compassion? It's realizing someone's hurt, taking it upon yourself, and then deciding to do something about it, deciding to invest in someone's, in someone's life, whether that be spiritually, whether that be emotionally, whether that be physically. We can choose to have compassion on someone. But again, are we going to be able to do that in our own strength? No. And if we are, not for long. Not for long. So we need to choose to call on God and say, you know, Lord, if I haven't been compassionate as you've called me to, would, number one, would you help me realize that? And number two, would you give me strength through Christ to do that? Um, just to be very candid, I had, written, I had written this message. I was all excited about it. Um, I, had showed, I had showed Dad it, and he had said, um, remember at the end to remind people that it's Christ who's going to give us the strength to do that. And, you know, I, I, um, I'm humble enough to realize that, yes, that, that is something that needed, needed to be added because it's a great reminder that we can have all this knowledge from the Bible, but if we're going to apply it, we need to realize that, again, it's not ourselves. It's going to be the Holy Spirit that gives us the strength to be compassionate. And so, just as a, a quick matter of, of invitation, uh, searching your own heart, I'd like you to consider perhaps you've had a lack of compassion in your own life, a, a lack of compassion in your own heart. We can ask the Lord to, number one, show us that, but also give us grace to start demonstrating it. It's not enough just to realize that we're wrong. That's, that's a good start. But once we've realized that, let's do something about it. Let's ask the Lord to give us strength uh, to overcome that. And you know what? He will. When we ask the Lord to give us strength, he gives it to us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to consider this word, compassion. Um, Lord, I, I know I probably haven't done it very much justice, but I pray that as we looked into your word that we, we might have a better understanding of what true biblical compassion is. Lord, if we've realized that perhaps there are areas in our lives or there are people in our lives that we haven't been showing your compassion towards, may you, number one, help us to realize that, and number two, give us the strength um, to overcome that and to begin to demonstrate it. In Jesus' name I pray.